again. Movies you sound like Batman. <laughs> should have already seen. Swear to me. <laughs> Where's Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I want to acknowledge that was a pretty darn good Martin Sheen from this film. I'm still uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it was just too funny. I We all knew it was coming, but it was still too funny for us to contain our laughter, so... Was Joker dropping the napalm? I actually just have COVID. So. <laughs> oh, thanks for recording this one in person, then. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, no, yeah no. the reason that Zach was remote was he was going and getting COVID <laughs> so that he could bring it to us. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Well, I'm Tyler. I'm Scott. I'm Jake. And I'm Zach. <laughs> was that Jake doing the voice the whole time? Is is the voice an infection that will slowly pass around to all of us throughout this episode? Yeah, I, Scott's going to get it next. That depends on you too, I think. <laughs> Didn't I already do the Batman thing at the beginning? We yeah. just kept going. No. Uh, I think it's over. Scott, yeah. Scott's viral load was very low. Yeah. <laughs> he recovered very quickly. Yeah. Well, uh... Zach, tell us a little bit. I mean, a lot of people are going to know just from that audio clip, but tell us a little bit about the movie that we're uh, reviewing today. Well, we uh, are reviewing a movie called Apocalypse Now, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It's the third Coppola movie now that we're doing. Um, And I picked this movie because it's super famous, and I figured we should do it at some point. I've never seen it before. Um, and I didn't really know much about it, honestly, aside from that it was, uh, I guess, placed during the Vietnam War um, and that it was filmed by Coppola. For those of us who aren't very well informed, such as myself, what were the other two Coppola movies we did? Godfather 1 and 2. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we were all technically late bloomers to this. I, I had seen this movie in parts a ton of times, um, but I had never actually watched it all the way through. Uh, and now I've done that twice. Uh, but since we're all late bloomers, Jake, why don't we start with you first? What was your uh, impression watching this movie for the first time? Yeah, I mean, it was, like Zach said, it's very famous, and it was cool to see the things that you've heard. Like, it was cool to finally understand that opening scene of Major Pain where he's sitting in the room. I get, <laughs> I get that joke now. Uh, but this was, all in all, I would say, like, the slowest descent into the most miserable I've ever been watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, like at first it's like, okay. And then I'm like, man, I'm having a pretty bad time. And then I'm like, please end this or kill me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that means it was effective. Uh, yeah. I think like, I think that's probably like, I probably wasn't supposed to have a good time, but man, was I upset. <laughs> you think, you think uh, Coppola was trying to get people to want to kill themselves? I mean, that might be a little extreme. But um, I, I don't but that think sentiment. He, yeah, I don't think he wanted. Yeah, I don't think he wanted you to have fun with this movie. Mm. And I mean, the movie is essentially just a descent into madness. So if you can make your audience feel that, like that might that, speak to the movie a little. Like bit. that's what I was gonna say. Is like I feel like this is a slow descent into madness. Like that. Like that. Like we're following. At least I followed uh, Martin Sheen on that journey. Except for I didn't go crazy. I just was really miserable. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think he is too, right? Yeah. Like he's, he's also super miserable. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of just a miserable person, a miserable character. Like say, he, he was miserable the whole time. The, yeah. From the very beginning, he's pretty miserable. I think everyone kind of is except Kilgore. Yeah. Like he, he seems like he's having a lot of fun. Well, <laughs> well, Kilgore was having fun, but Marlon Brando was not. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, sorry, you, Kil- which was Kilgore? Kilgore was uh, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. Oh, Robert yeah. Duvall. Kurtz. Kurtz was having Kurtz's. It. Kurtz's, Kurtz's, Kurtz yeah. was not having a ton of fun. No. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he was. I, I really don't I, know. I think he, he was just looking for someone to end his life. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think he... He's he like, finally like a, someone worthy yeah. <laughs> to end me. He, he was like Jake after watching this movie. Yeah. No, I, I was Kurtz. Scott, you were also a late bloomer on this. Yeah, did not like it. It was way too long. Bad acting. <laughs> like, it was okay. it was pretty bad. It was down there with the good, the bad, and the ugly for me. Wow. It was it was not a fun experience. Wait, I, I'm curious. I feel who like, was who was like who did you think was a bad actor? 
everyone. Before we get into that, who can, was good? Okay, first of all, can we can we like are we saying that a movie is good if you have fun? That's what Scott. Let's let's That's just always renew said. Scott's. Oh, I mean, we've had this argument like <laughs> yeah. five times on yeah, pod. Yeah, it just still. But let's go back there. Upsets me for new for our newer listeners. I want to connect with someone in the movie. No one to connect with in this. Yeah, so you didn't enjoy Kurtz. it, and therefore <laughs> it's. I mean, that was that was how we got to there will be blood. Yep. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it was Sorry. not enjoyable. It, my fault. I'll take the. I'll. I'll fall on this sword. Yeah, it was my bad. Yeah. <laughs> it is your bad. <laughs> well, I like I said had had seen uh, this movie in part in parts uh, a ton, um, but had never gone through and really watched it. Mostly because. I understood what I was signing up for, like, because I'd seen all these parts and I had had a lot of conversations with people and understood the premise of the like, uh, premise story, uh, the heart of darkness. And I just was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do it. Uh, having watched it now two times through, uh, it is the, one of the most excellently, executed movies that I never want to see again. Yeah. You know, it's funny that we were talking about the heart of darkness. Cause I was reading about the movie beforehand. They're like, Oh, it's loosely based on the heart of darkness. And like probably two, three months ago, I started to read the heart of darkness and bailed quickly. So I knew without I knowing with the, the heart of darkness was, yeah, no, I, I didn't realize that there, cause I didn't know much about this movie okay, so, gotcha. until I read about it before. I was like, Oh, I'm not going to like this because I hated the heart of darkness. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, and so I, I went in knowing that I probably wasn't going to be that into it Wow, for that reason, because I was just not into Heart of Darkness either. <laughs> That's got to be like one of the more unique uh, experiences of this movie that anyone's ever had. Yeah, completely by accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I take it back. I think Harrison Ford did fine for the three seconds he was on screen. <laughs> that, I mean. For, for Harrison Ford, I mean. That was like... <laughs> So he has a ceiling, like he has a low oh, yeah. ceiling. I mean, it's Harrison Ford, so it's not going to ever be Oscar worthy. So what, what's Pete Harrison Ford for you? Is Pete Harrison Ford like the fugitive or is it Han Solo? Or 42. Yeah. Uh, 42. <laughs> I would say probably fugitive is the best of those. Okay. But I mean, just like, those are just two examples, but like, what's, what's your, what's your Pete Harrison Ford performance? It's hard to say because it's very flat. Uh-huh. Like what peak is a like what's a peak? Okay. Here's here's I'll I'll answer this, Jake. Uh, I'll 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 give the joke uh, a punchline. I really do think legitimately. I don't expect much out of Harrison Ford as an actor, and so I think his peak for me is Air Force One. I haven't seen Air Force oh, One. Oh yeah, actually. solid. That's what I'm, you should change uh, next year's fake pick. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Maybe. Maybe we'll see. But yeah, Air Force One, that's like, for me, peak Harrison Ford. This, Zach, you oh, were... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jake. I was going to say, speaking of Harrison Ford, it's just like this movie was full of like, oh man, he's in this movie? Like probably like four or five times I did that. Oh, sure. But probably the worst one for me was maybe... 50 minutes into the movie, I realized that Lawrence Fishburne was, in the was clean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, like I like paused to like go get a drink of water and oh. I paused on his face. I was like, that's Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. <laughs> nice. He was 14. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. He had to lie so that he could be on the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. He had some pretty cool dancing. I wanted to bring up. Uh, as the new Lord of the Dance. No, you're not. I, <laughs> no, you're not. I no, thought nobody his dancing acknowledges was, that. Oh, three. We, we haven't of introduced two. any of of the t- tater tots to this conversation, so at least like let them know what we're arguing about. Well, uh, we for some reason um, established that my power is that I can claim other people's powers. <laughs> no, we so did. You just said, "Oh, I don't have any cool powers. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna yank on somebody else's thing." Yeah, uh, because I'm not smart enough to figure out the heptapods, and I don't know how to dance. Sure. Yeah. But then I, I claimed it and three out of four of us like uh, affirmed that. I don't think so. I, I mean, I did say that I do have really good videographic evidence of Zach being uh, uh, influenced by Lord of the Dance. See, not everybody that dances is Lord of the Dance, though. There's I know. I understand. But I, that was clearly Lord of the Dance that overcame him and, and uh, filled him. To I think it was Jack to, Daniels that overcame him. That theology. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think it was yeah. Jack Daniels that overcame him. <laughs> But you know what? Lawrence Fishburne, some solid dancing in this movie. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
I don't remember. I've watched this movie a couple weeks ago did, and I've, I've been repressing it. Did Lord of the Dance register any of the dance moves happening? He did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <he> did. <laughs> Jake, you said that Lawrence Fishburne was a surprise for you. Was Marlon Brando a surprise for you? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I didn't recognize Marlon Brando. And then I realized it was because he was shot in the dark and he was fat. Did you not uh, know he was in the, this movie? No, really? not really. Like I didn't look at the cast very much. I don't know why. Okay, gotcha. uh, I, I, I read some other things. But then every single person in this cast that I recognized surprised me. Hmm. Okay, Zach, you were also a late bloomer to this movie. What was. was your What was your thoughts finally watching it for the first so time? So I had uh, an interesting experience with this movie where I watched it. Um, I was the opposite of you, Tyler, where I did not know what I was getting into. I didn't have much context for this movie. I hadn't seen, I'd seen stuff from this, like parodied, like in Community or like in um, Tropic Thunder, you know? So I feel like I had a little bit of context, but I I really didn't know what the movie was going to be about. And so I watched it um, and I was really conflicted afterwards. I didn't know how I felt about it. I wasn't sure if I even thought it was very good or not, but I felt like I didn't have a very good grasp on the movie and I felt like I didn't get it really so I did a little bit of research I ended up watching the documentary Hearts of Darkness about uh, the production of this movie and then I ended up that Coppola's wife made yeah mm -hmm. and then I ended up actually watching it again um, and I liked it a lot more the second time uh, and I, I think it's a really good movie I actually enjoyed it and I think it would be a movie that I would rewatch throughout my life. Um, I think it's probably the best Vietnam movie, Vietnam War movie that I've seen. Um, and there was something that Coppola said that I feel like really recontextualized this film for me, um, where he said, this isn't a movie about Vietnam. It is Vietnam. And so I took that as he wants you to feel the way that the troops did. Anyone who was involved in the Vietnam War felt uh, while they were there. And taking that in mind or holding that as I was watching it the second time, I enjoyed the movie a lot more. I think the first time when I went into it, I didn't know that Brando was in like 10 minutes of this movie. I thought the movie was going to be about Kurtz, like getting to Kurtz, finding him and then dealing with Kurtz. I actually thought maybe we would see him go crazy in the movie. Um, Cause I, I did know beforehand that Brando goes crazy in this movie. And so the whole time I'm watching it thinking like, where is Kurtz? Like, why are we taking so long to get to Kurtz? Like what, what is going on? Like this, it just feels like we're meandering and we're beleaguering this. And the movie is really not that much about Kurtz. And the second time through, I think everything with Kurtz is actually my least favorite part of the movie. I actually like everything leading up to that a lot more. Um, but overall, I think I would agree with what you said, Tyler. I do think it's excellently made, which is crazy and very impressive considering just how much of a mess this production was. Um, but I think the cinematography is really great, really really um what's the word i'm looking for uh captivating mm. I, I felt like the cinematography was really captivating i think a lot of the acting was good i liked the acting in this movie um and i thought it was an interesting engaging story um and and it, it evoked something out of me that like not a lot of other movies do so I enjoyed it. I was I was happy with it. I feel like <clears throat> I can relate to when you were saying you feel like you felt like you didn't get it the first time. I didn't watch it a second time, so I, I haven't, and I probably won't to be honest because <laughs> I was pretty I was pretty miserable. But I I feel like I did walk away from this movie feeling like I don't know if I got it. Like I feel that like I felt like it was a better movie than I recognized it to be. If that makes sense, like. I don't really know how to say it, but like, I felt like, oh, I watched a good movie that I didn't really appreciate because I was just having such a bad time. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe I will watch Hearts of Darkness, but I probably will not watch this movie again. Well, Zach, you've given us a lot to react to in that. But before we get any further, Scott, what do you say we jump into a little bit of just the facts about this movie? Yeah, like we said, this was uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It was written by uh, John Milius, uh, as well as... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Joseph Conrad, who did a novella on this, it looks like. The Heart, the Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Oh, yeah. got it. Uh, it released in August of 1979, had a runtime of 182 minutes. The other guys gave this a 98%. IMDb gave it 8.4. Uh, had a box office of 92 uh, a million with a budget of a 31 million, so 3x on that. Um, it won for best cinematography and best sound and then lost six others. For Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Duvall, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, and then Best Film Editing. 
I have a question about our stats that I don't know if you're going to have the answer to, uh, but does that number include the money that Francis Ford Coppola had to put in himself? <laughs> I think that's that does. Because <clears throat> it was originally half that, I think. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong, but what I what I heard Coppola say was that he foot the entire bill for this himself. Oh, really? I, I heard that he went, when I, I mean, this was just IMDb trivia, so could be totally wrong, but I read that he like went way over budget and he just did. put more. So like, but not like the whole thing. Right? I don't think no, he, I think yeah. no. What, what Coppola said was that uh, no one wanted to make this. Uh-huh. And so he foot the entire bill for it. And then as it was going over budget over and over and over again, that's when he was like losing his mind. Like I, like we're going to be financially destitute because of this, uh-huh. but I'm already so deep. I can't not keep putting money in. Uh, and so, yeah, my, my understanding from what Coppola has said is that he, from the get go foot the bill for this movie. Wow. That's, yeah, that. that's really interesting. Um, I, I had heard that he and, uh, like a group of filmmakers, maybe a decade or so prior to this movie being made, uh, had formed a production studio together. And this was one of the movies that they wanted to make. And George Lucas originally was going to direct this movie. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that fell through. And Probably a good call. They weren't able to find funding for it, and so he ended up going and making Godfather 1 and 2, which won him a lot of prestige and obviously a lot of money, and then he was able to make this a little bit later. Wow. Yeah. I I can't imagine what this movie would have been like directed by George Lucas. Yeah, I think I think Coppola, like I think it was best that he he did this himself. Um, but Zach, you've given you've given us like, I don't know, five different things to talk about. Uh, one of them that I want to like circle back to is this idea that this movie is way more um, way more uh, like meta uh, than a lot of the movies that we watch and way more meta than certainly than any war film. Um you had said that that Coppola specifically said this isn't a movie about Vietnam. It is Vietnam. And a lot of critics have talked about how um, poetic this plot line really is, where there are things that are happening where it's like, okay, is that really happening? Or is this just like surrealism? Uh, and I think that is super interesting about this movie. And it's something that I like a lot. But again, I don't necessarily know that I have an enjoyable experience with. Um, and, and in that way, I think this is one of our best examples of the difference between like a movie and a film or the difference between like art and like commercial movies, like for the average public consumption. Uh, um, and I wanted to see what you guys thought about that. I was actually going to ask you a question about what you said. So what, like you said, like some of the things that they didn't like, like some, like, Oh, we don't know if this is happening or if this is surreal. What, what are some examples of pe- things people have picked up and called that about? Yeah. 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 So a few different things, like one being, uh, like as they're, as again, as they're going down the river, we're literally seeing them devolve uh-huh. like into more like primitive people. Like you have Lance, the surfer guy that in the beginning is kind of happy go lucky. Um, you know, but by the end of just the act of going down the river, which isn't necessarily like uh, insanity inducing, we see him devolve to at the very end, he's like naked covered in, bull's blood kind of a thing. And so like, that's a very surreal arc. That's not a very realistic arc for a character. Um, so like something like that and, or like when they, uh, get to a point in the river and there's just all of these, like, I I, I don't know what to call them. Like, uh, like almost Aboriginal type people there. And, and like, that's not super, realistic it's a little more surreal and like showing that Uh like we're getting back to a more primitive human in this Uh moment um like there are just a lot of decisions that coppola made that uh, and even like something like uh using like using fireworks in place of like bullets kind of a thing to like almost enhance the notion like, and then followed by these arrows that are like not, 
they don't look super effective, you know, uh-huh. like, so that like to kind of like enhance the surrealism of the situation, like the reality is an arrow shot at you is probably about as dangerous as a bullet from a certain distance. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Um, but like to show it in that way enhances the surreality of the enemy just doesn't have much that can actually hurt us kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Okay. That's interesting. I'm surprised that that US Osho in the middle of the river wasn't one of the things that was called out because that, it is. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I just ended that, because it's like a that long was list. the most shocking thing to me totally. in the movie. <laughs> like 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 the the crazy story, like you know, like that felt like oh, like you know, all his friends have died and just all this bad stuff is happening. So maybe he's losing his mind. Like like I could see the jumps they would make. It didn't feel super real, but it felt like a story. But I don't even know that I picked up on or I ever thought besides the USO show, I ever thought, oh, is this really happening to them? Is the USO show, what What, what do you mean by that? Well, what so like they, they're in the middle of the river and then all of a sudden they just come on a base and then mm-hmm. they're just having this huge show with the, the dancing the playboy, yeah, yeah, playboy okay. models. I, I believe that that was actually accurate, right? Like, uh, I know that they would have those kind of shows. Sure, sure but, but like but his experience into the junk, like, yeah. like they were like so in that location. Issue. Yeah, sure. Like that, that felt very strange to me that they okay. just came across that so deep into the, the into the jungle like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And, and at that point in the story, kind of like, I agree with you, Jake. Like, I think that that is a good example of like surrealism that like does a good job of, I think, putting you in the headspace of these people um, and in the headspace of of war and in the headspace of like the effect of war on the human soul. Um, but it's not like hyper realistic, like, you know, like most war movies, most, especially most really good war movies are good because they are hyper realistic. So like saving private Ryan made people in who lived through D day walk out of the theater because it was too real. Um, and like most war movies, when directors approach them, they try to be as, as, as real and historically accurate as possible. And not to say that USO show and USO shows didn't happen in Vietnam and don't happen all over the place, but typically USO shows are on bases that are like way behind enemy lines because they have to keep the civilians safe. Like they can't put the civilians, you know on the, the edge of danger kind of a thing. Um, we're like, like a <clears throat> Viet Cong. We're like at the gate watching right. the show. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, a- anyway, all that is to say, uh, I do think that there really is something to the, the, the surrealist approach to this that I think like warrants it to be like as excellent as you and I have talked about. Um, because I think it does a good job at it, but I also think it's, it's important because it's new and different and something that even probably hasn't been repeated a lot. Like this movie has been parodied a ton, but like after this still most war movies and we're, I think we're covering another one later this year or maybe it was next year. Um, Oh, it was next year. Sorry. Uh, we, we have more war movies that we're going to tackle on this podcast. Um, but all of them are very realistic I think maybe the reason why this <clears throat> this kind of thing you don't see done, we haven't seen done again, is it like this for most people, I would say, is way more like disturbing and upsetting. Like sure. I even like like, you know, you watch Saving Private Ryan and like some really upsetting and terrible things happen and it feels very real and it's like somber. But this was much more like upsetting and like disturbing to me. And when I walked away, I was like, I'm just like, I don't like this. I don't feel good. I feel like a little bit often upset about by it so maybe that's why like people just don't want to make a movie like that like a studio doesn't want to back it i think you're probably right and and i wonder how much of it too is the fact that it's the vietnam war versus other wars where like while i was watching this movie it reminded me a lot of platoon it reminded me a lot of full metal jacket where like there's no sense of patriotism with any of these movies you know would you disagree carry on um, <laughs> my wayward son. Whereas I feel like there are a lot more with like Saving Private Ryan or, you know, um, maybe like other World War II films. Um, and that's kind of, I, I didn't really consider like a sense of surrealism, even though I, I like that and that makes it a more compelling film to me. 
Um, but one of the things that I just kind of thought about was it, it felt like it was a lot more of a chaotic, I guess, energy that was displayed by the troops and whatnot and just throughout this entire movie um it felt like the motive for being there was a lot more muddied and and not as maybe urgent or just a lot more controversial and so it felt like a lot of these people who were there and just surrounded by death and chaos and no real like sense of motivation being there is is what was driving them to kind of these like destitute states and, and so I wonder, I guess, if maybe like that's it, the Vietnam War lends itself a little bit more to that kind of a film rather than like World War Two. Yeah, I, I don't know that I agree, but I don't want to monopolize the, the podcast. So anyone else have any? <laughs> I think I can see maybe I didn't get what you were saying, but I feel like I, I feel like I can see what you mean, where like we don't have like like the like what drives these people into this like insane state is that we don't have any like good, clear um, like reason to be there. And a lot of people didn't feel like they wanted us to be in Vietnam, including the soldiers. And I think like um, what's his name? Joseph, Joseph Heller. He wrote catch 22 and it's set in world war one or world war two. I mean, but actually I think is about Vietnam. Like he, he wrote it kind of oh, in okay. protest of Vietnam, but he fought in world war two and I heard him talking and he's like, yeah, like I didn't feel like, cause like the, the characters in that, they don't want to fight the war. They just want to survive. They want to get out. And he's like, yeah, I didn't feel that way when I was a bombardier in world war two, we all thought like we were doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just kind of like that feeling in general, like I can see why, and maybe that's not what you're saying, but like, like why no, I they, think that is yeah, yeah. like they went so much more crazy because they're doing these things that they're risking their lives. They're doing like, you know, questionable things for what they don't see as an even really a good reason. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, I think definitely. Yeah. And, and I feel like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I felt that way similarly with like Platoon and Full Metal Jacket where like, I don't feel like we have uh, like set aside heroes in those films. Like they feel very much like victims almost. And like Full Metal Jacket has its own descent into madness. Now that's in boot camp, you know, before they even really get there. But I, I felt the same way after watching those other two Vietnam War movies as I did with this one where, like, I also felt gross. Have you seen either of those movies, Jake? I've seen the first half of Full Metal Jacket. I watched it, like, in a class in college, mm-hmm. but we didn't watch the second half for some reason. So I haven't, I haven't finished it. Yeah. But I, I watched the boot camp scene. They're very, uh, it's funny, because the, the first half of the movie, and, and similar to this, I actually want to say, the first half of the movie is very different from the second half of Full Metal Jacket. That's what I heard. And I think yeah. that might be why it was like, right. I don't remember what the class was, but I think that might be why we didn't finish it. It makes a lot of sense to me, to be honest, in a class to only watch half of that movie, one or the other. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know what the last half is, so I can't like say if it makes mm-hmm. sense to me or not. My yeah. favorite Vietnam movie is Forrest Gump. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. How does this stack up that with tracks. Forrest Gump with you? <laughs> yeah. How's, yeah. It's, How a does lot, this? it's a lot less fun. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. You mean Forrest Gump is less fun than Apocalypse Now? For me, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I had a lot of fun watching this. Yeah, I, I could tell. I mean, there's dancing, there's surfing. <laughs> there's a show. Yeah. There's the smell of napalm in the morning. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So uh, one of the one of the interesting things that like critics have talked about, and it's and when I say critics, I, I think that this movie is interesting because it does draw a lot of general art critics, not just film critics. Um, because a lot of people do view all of like Francis Ford Coppola's filmography really as like, he's, he's really an artist that has chosen this medium. Like that's his core motivation. And that might be true. Um, but a lot of uh, critics have picked up on the uh, distinction between Kilgore and Kurtz. That's like a really common when people talk about this movie. Um, what did you guys think about those two characters? I think Kurtz was the worst. I'm sorry, not Kurtz. Kilgore was the worst part of the movie. Really? He was just such a, a cartoon. And yeah. like in it, the movie felt like normal up to that point. And then he's like, they're, they're like gunning people down. And he's like, hey, 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 check it out. That wave is breaking both ways. And then he goes to the next guy who's under shots. And he's like, hey, 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 hey. Look at the way that wave breaks both ways. And it's like, dude people are shooting at you. Like, it's just like, I get that he's supposed to be ridiculous, but it just got to the point where I was completely taken out of 
the entire movie where I was like, nobody's like this. Not even the most insane. How do you know? Fearless no per- how do you know that no one is like that? I just. <laughs> You're, I've not met every person. <laughs> sure. And, uh, and you've just not been in the Vietnam War. Sure. And so you didn't but meet like, many here's people the thing, Zach, in it. Uh, what's, what's something you're pretty passionate about that you like doing? Uh, <laughs> let's just say playing guitar. Okay. So let's say that we're like, we're at, uh, you know, the Grand Ole Opry or something uh-huh. where there, there's like a famous music venue. Uh, and then I bring you there and you know whoever whoever you like whoever your favorite guitar player is is up there playing and then i say okay zach sit here i'm gonna start shooting around you and then you start talking to me about how this guy's playing the guitar okay i think that in that situation i'm lance and i'm not kilgore right yeah i agree i took kilgore as like he's been in these kind of situations enough and he has survived enough to where like he thinks he's invincible no, I think it's different, but that's an interesting take. Well, it just felt like, yeah, I don't know. And, yeah. and like, there's something that, that uh, Willard says where he says, I'm going to butcher the line, but he says something like, that's the kind of guy where like nothing can touch him or something like right. that. He says something to that effect, right? right? Where I feel like that just reinforces like this guy. Like it, it, To me, it felt like it reinforced this idea that like Kilgore thinks he's invincible. I, I yeah, felt like it, oh, oh, Scott... I, I felt like having him on screen was the only fun in the entire movie. It was definitely the fun part. Thank you that you said that because that was my favorite part of the movie. It was the only part that I was like, okay, this movie's cool. And then then he's not on screen anymore. I'm like, dang, I really hate this. I thought he was funny. I thought the fact that he was so obsessed with surfing and trying to make it happen was funny. Like, and everyone else, everyone else is you, Jake. Everyone else is just like, what is wrong with you, dude? Like, this is like, focus on what we're doing. I felt like he was like equal, but opposite of, yes, of, um, Kurtz, Kurtz. Yeah. Because like Kurtz is like the, like embrace the situation man. And this is, and then I felt like Kilgore is like the pretend like everything's okay, man. Yes, exactly. So the, for me, like the thing that I truly love about this movie actually is Kurtz Kilgore as, uh, archetypes for how to deal with war. Uh, and I think like to me, the, the message of this movie, the point of this movie, what it's trying to say is that uh, war affects us all very profoundly. Uh, and there are two common ways that that happens. One is by becoming uh, obsessed with uh, like the power of dealing out death, which is Kurtz Brando. And the other is by trying to escape it, like trying to like essentially like Kilgore at one point, like he essentially wants to take a beach for the sole purpose of surfing it. Like he's like, I I just want to like, I want to fight my way to escape. And do you think he's uh, doing it for himself or for his men? I think he's doing it for himself. Mm. I think he's doing it completely for himself. I think it's for uh, for himself too. We're to where like when he's gonna help that one uh, uh, VC dude who's on the ground and his guts are spilling out, <laughs> and, and, then, gonna, and then he gets and then distracted he, yeah, by Lance. <laughs> he's so obsessed with Lance and yeah. wanting to surf with Lance, like yeah. it feels very self motivated. Oh yeah, I think so too. Which I think is just I I find that very funny. Like I th- I see your guys's points, but like <clears throat> in the it just really took me out of it. Like, yeah, in the moment. Yeah, but like I and I'm not disagreeing with what any of you guys are saying it just like it just took me out of the movie for the time that he was on screen i think i think that's fair the re it was super believable for me because i worked with a jarhead that was basically this guy (laughs) really you've you've met kilgore i've basically (laughs) met him i'm not gonna say his name or anything but i worked with a guy when i worked at the golf course and he was a jarhead and he was always just like crazy yeah like even like we're like busy trying like we got stuff we got to do and he's like no, nah, dude, I'm gonna go do 360s down the hill. Like, but it was crazy for fun. Like it was like yeah, always yeah, it was like, like avoidance yeah. of yeah. like embracing the real situation. Yeah. Uh huh. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that I think that Kilgore is like I, I would imagine there are a lot of people who have served in conflict because there are other like sort of versions of Kilgore that I've seen in in war based, you know movies i think that kilgore is a good archetype for people to be like i know that guy you know what i mean uh and i've i've met that guy and and i do think that there are people like kurtz that like 
they come out of war just really messed up by like the the power of the power over life or death and you know i uh, it, marines in particular i think there've been a lot of like maybe unfairly pointed at marines a lot of uh like maybe open criticism in media against what is truly a bad thing that there are people who join the military just to kill some people, you know? And like, that's the Kurtz type. Huh. I will say, and I'm going to stick to it. Martin Sheen was awful in this movie. He's not a good actor. Well, okay. To go back real quick, cause you said the acting was really bad, but Robert think, Duvall was nominated. No, no, I think he was great. Okay. So Duvall you, you was great. He was good. And there were, there's, I was overplaying my hand. Sure. There was lots of things that you can say were done critically well about the movie. But I felt like something to chime into what Jake said earlier. I felt like the movie had no heart, which is why I didn't connect to it, uh, which is why I didn't have a good experience with it. I also think Martin Sheen was a bad actor. Mm. I wish they would have had someone else. Um, But besides that, I do agree cinematography was great. Um, I think there's tons of crazy things when it comes to directing this film. Um, But all in all bad experience sure i don't i feel like martin sheen's performance really pulled back like how well i think this movie actually is but i think there was a lot of valuable things done like from a production perspective on this movie i don't know if i don't even know if this is too broad a question but like what what didn't you like about Martin Sheen's performance in particular. He's such a punchable face. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, that's not um, really anything about his performance. <laughs> no, 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 like lines were believable to me. Like the whole time I was just thinking this is Martin Sheen saying stuff. Like I was pulled out by his acting the entire movie. Martin Sheen was hit or miss for me. The first time I watched it, I would probably agree with you, Scott. I, I didn't think he was all that great. Um, and then the second time I watched it, there were moments where I thought he was good. Uh, I think specifically when he has this meltdown in the hotel, I thought that that was good. And and even when they were testing it with audiences, uh, people who had served said, like, that's a great demonstration of PTSD. But even that was fake. Like, he was actually drunk. Like, I mean, he didn't – act- yeah, it was real. Like, he was actually drunk for that scene. And does he does actually put well, – diminish it- the performance? I think it does. It makes it, it not acting. <laughs> He was just, I, I didn't, it didn't like land with me. Okay. I guess I'm neutral on that. I don't, I guess yeah. I don't really care. See, I think I'm more with you, Zach, where it's like, you know, like if it do whatever you have to, to get yeah, into the I don't space. think do whatever you have to. And I will talk more about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk more about that when we talk about uh, gangs of New York in a couple okay, of weeks. Okay. Fair. But, um, I think that like, if you can find some way to bring this across, then it, why, like, why not? Like if you, if you're comfortable getting drunk in a hotel room to, to like bring this, this thing, this, uh, to this, nail the performance. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think that that, I don't think anything should be brought against you for that personally. Yeah. I I'm the same way. And I'm not going to die in a hill of Martin Sheen's a great actor. Cause there were moments then where he delivered dialogue and I was like, that felt really wooden. I, I was, I was lukewarm on him. I, I just saw the character. What's his, what's the character's name? Willard. 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 I, I saw him as this like wooden, like very like, like shell shocked yeah. special forces type dude where like that. So it didn't bother me because that was what I expected out of him. Like he didn't seem to be able to function in any way that's, besides do this. That's kind of how I tried to hold that character the second time watching it. And it worked a lot better for me. It felt to me like a Hollywood actor trying to be wooden, shell-shocked. Like, I was pulled out by, like, the acting. I just don't feel like it was executed. I I agree with both you guys. I do think that, like, Martin Sheen is, <clears throat> to me, no one special in terms of, like, as an actor. Um, but I do feel like Willard's function in this movie is to be the vehicle for all these other characters like like he's really not the protagonist even though he kind of is yeah i think that makes i think that makes a lot of sense and i think that might be why it didn't but like like i'm not like don't get me wrong i'm not saying like oh i think martin sheen did amazing he just didn't bother me like he seemed to have bothered scott and so i was wondering like what he found and took fault with to take fault with because uh, yeah he it did a little bit in a way like 
kind of meld in, not meld into the background, but like a vehicle yeah. for the characters. And then also for us, you yeah, know, exactly. Like, yeah. Like that, that's why such a flat character I think is, is good here. It's something that I think they do a lot in like video games yeah. where they have like a very flat, like nothing, like not very developed character as the person you're playing. Cause they right. want you to project yourself onto that. Yeah. Totally. So I think it makes sense. I, Jake, I feel exactly the same way. I think that was like such a great description of this character because like sometimes art like is about like putting the audience into the, the driver's seat. Uh-huh. And I think that that's a valid, like, you know, I think that's a valid use for an actor. Uh-huh. And so I almost wouldn't recast Martin Sheen because I feel like he did a great job of being, like in a lot of ways, a little bit of a blank slate for us to project ourselves onto. Uh, I, I disagree. I think he just needs to go be Uncle Ben and get shot. <laughs> well, and and I want to say too, Bring I it to the MCU. I wonder if you guys feel the exact same way that Coppola did because Coppola recasted this character with Martin Sheen. He had to fire Harvey Keitel. Yeah, like a couple weeks into filming. I haven't seen Harvey Keitel in a ton of stuff, but I feel like more often than not, he's a little bit more eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I wonder if maybe he wanted someone to kind of dial it down a little bit more and felt like Cartel, uh, Keitel, sorry, uh, was not the correct actor for this part and felt like Martin Sheen was better suited for it. Did he get into why he fired him? I didn't see that personally. Did he in, in the docu, or I'm sorry, in the. I haven't seen it. I skipped over an article uh, that described Harvey Keitel being sad that he didn't get this role. <laughs> Uh, but Not I even just, just that, but got it, got fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I didn't read the article. Now I, I wish that I had, um, funny enough though, with Martin Sheen, he ended up having a heart attack <laughs> during yeah. the filming. Maybe of this. he was Absolutely in too good a health. That's why they fired him. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it was, he, Oh, who, Keitel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keitel. yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, we want someone who's going to almost die in the driver's seat here. They, that makes I think films do often make actors go through physicals just to make sure that they don't invest in a character that's going to die kind of a thing. I don't think they did that with Martin Sheen. <laughs> I, 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 I think Scott's right. I think they did. <laughs> they did the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> They wanted somebody. You can't even run a mile. You're hired. (laughs) (laughs) Coppola's like, I want this to have real world stakes in the middle of filming. And Martin Sheen is about to burst. Coppola had to lie though to his like producers and say like, oh, he's fine. He's just like, it's just heat stroke or something like that. But he's going to recover pretty quickly. And then they had to have Emilio Estevez come in to do a lot of the um, voiceover. Uh, That's funny. Wait. Really? I heard that uh, Martin Sheen's brother did. That's close. Uh, That's his son. Emilio Estevez is Martin Sheen's son. Okay. Oh, is it his son? Yeah. I I can't remember who is what. So the family name is Estevez. Uh Martin Sheen changed his name to Sheen when he went into acting. Charlie followed his dad's acting name, but Emilio decided he wanted to keep his family. Is name. Charlie a son of yeah. Martin too? Okay. Yeah. I thought Charlie Char- was a brother. Charlie too. Sheen and Emilio Estevez are Martin Sheen's sons. Okay. That was the, the other thing, like the other takeaway I had from, from Martin Sheen was I was just so shocked at how much young Martin Sheen looks like Charlie Sheen. Oh yeah. Cause I, I don't think I'd seen him very young in very many things. Martin Sheen. Totally. Totally. Haven't you guys seen night at the Roxbury? I have. It explains the whole Estevez family. I haven't. Does it? No, not really. But they talk. I like, remember oh, them I talking the and I was about like, it. Yeah. Emilio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was like, I won't remember a deep dive on that though. <laughs> While we're on the topic of acting, before we get to Brando, what did you guys think of uh, Dennis Hopper? Sorry, who's in this opera again? He's the crazy, uh, the crazy like journalist at the end of the movie. I thought he was oh. terrific. Yeah, uh, yeah, personally, he was, he was wild. He was wild. Wild's a good adjective. Yeah, he was wild. I don't know if he was acting because I don't uh, know much about in the Dennis documentary. Hopper. There's shots of they talk about how hard he was to work with. Uh-huh. How Brando hated him. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't they record uh, like, all their huh? scenes separate and then like splice them together? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the one scene together, Brando like lashes out at him. Um, but there's a there's a scene of Coppola talking to Hopper, and Hopper is just talking some wild. <laughs> I don't know what he's even trying to say. And Coppola just overall is just like just try to learn your lines. That's that's all I'm asking for you to do. Just try to learn your lines. And then Hopper's just going off saying God knows what. Mm. That's wild. I prefer him when he's trying to bomb buses. Do you? 
Yeah. I don't even know what the reference to. Speed? Speed. speed. Yeah. I got that. Oh, I uh, watched Speed. I don't remember him being... He's the main bad guy. We reviewed it. Yeah, I know. I don't remember him. I just didn't remember him. I, I tried to forget a lot of Speed, too. The main. <laughs> he's, he's just the main bad guy. Tried to forget a lot of Speed. No, I thought he did fine. I thought he, I thought was, he was better good. in this than... I, oh, yeah. I, was yeah. I just wanted to make the joke about bombing. Buttons. No, it was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like Dennis Hopper uh, in this. I, I thought he was super believable. And actually, uh, you know, in general, against Scott's point, I think that largely I love all of the acting in this movie. I think I do, too. I think the only acting that I don't particularly care for, I guess, is Martin Sheen. But it doesn't it doesn't bother me or affect my my watch. Yeah, and I pulled back and I said it was pretty much yeah, just him. It was like just everyone him, else yeah. is fine. I did um Marlon because Br- Marlon Brando seems like he was just so difficult to work with in this. Oh, didn't, for sure. Didn't him and Coppola hate each other? And like so much so that Coppola didn't shoot any of the Brando scenes. So the assistant director was the one that was like in charge of the scenes with Brando in him. I think so. I don't know if they hate each other hated each other prior. Maybe they did. Maybe from Godfather he already but I don't know why he would want him back for this movie then. Um but yeah, he he uh Brando showed up, had never read Heart of Darkness didn't really know anything about the movie was way fatter than he was supposed to be um, and made it super difficult to to film his parts like Brando kind of commandeered the set and him and Coppola had to have days on end where they were discussing the character and the script and that delayed production even more um, and, and I, I think I did hear that the assistant director had to eventually just shoot all those scenes. That sounds like a really Kurtz move, if I'm honest. Yeah and you know what's really interesting, I was actually talking to someone earlier today, I told them that we were going to be talking about Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now, and he was telling me about a different movie where, like, the same thing happened. Where Brando, Brando. yeah, mm-hmm. and so he did sound like he was kind of a diva. Uh, At least there was only like ten minutes of him, right? Well, well, you know what I I read when I was reading about this movie was he apparently that that like he gives a speech in the movie and he gave like just like an eighteen minute unscripted rambling speech, yeah, and they use like two minutes of it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and then I think Brando at the end of that said like that's all you're getting. Yeah, I'm not doing that again. So I, like work I, with that. I think he was a diva. I agree completely and obviously difficult to work with, but I honestly am not like, I actually don't fault him for that. I think if I were a, a movie producer working at that time, I would pay Marlon Brando just for that. Like to me, it's a little bit like, um, I'm blanking on the actor's name, but uh, he's a really uh, famous uh, improv comic that like just ha- gets a lot of roles in in movies. Um, I'll I'll think of it later. Um, but when he gets hired, like he did a role with with Danny DeVito, uh, or I'm sorry, not Danny DeVito with uh, Robert De Niro. And Robert De Niro like was talking about like it was so wild that like this guy came in with no lines, like nothing was written for him. And he just did like, you know, 20, 30 takes uh, and like long takes of just redoing jokes over and over again, different jokes, different ways. And like De Niro was so disoriented by it because it's just not how he's used to working. But that, oh, it's uh, Jason, Jason Manzoukas. Yes, I just looked. Oh, up. what movie Jason were Manzoukas. they in together? Dirty Grandpa. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But Jason Manzoukas just got hired by the director to improv. Like, don't yeah. even, I don't even want lines for you. I just want you to improv. And I almost feel that way about Brando because the resulting performance is so compelling that like, why, why fight that? You know, yeah. I don't know if I didn't recognize Brando because he blended into the role or just because he was fat. I think I, I agree with that, but I can see if I'm Coppola and I'm like, dude, I sent you the script forever ago and like, and I told you to read the book and I told you to lose weight and you said you would do all those things and like you didn't. And now we got to prolong this out of, and I'm, I just mortgaged my house again. I get it. And then he's like, just shoot me in the dark. Yeah. (laughs) But, but even that, like, just shoot me in the dark. Like, I don't know that he actually said that. I think he did. It was. Yeah. He was like, I don't want people to see how fat I am. Shoot me in the dark. Well, but I'll tell you what, it was the most compelling, like version of telling that story. Is that all Brando or is that Coppola like have backed into a corner and having to be like super creative with I, how to do this. I don't think it matters. I think that's what you hire Marlon Brando for. Otherwise you don't hire Marlon Brando. Like 
you can hire an actor to do exactly what you want. Like you can hire anybody for that kind of a thing. I think you hire Marlon Brando for his like artist for what he brings to the table as an artist. And otherwise you don't hire him because it's, it's stupid. I also wouldn't hire Jason Manzoukas to like deliver jokes that I've written. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was. <laughs> Stick to the script, Jason. <laughs> and so, like, like, these jokes suck, man. I I think that like even his difficulty really brings to the table. Like, even if it is because his difficulty requires innovation, it brings to the table the best product. Because I can't think of a Marlon Brando role that I've ever seen that I'm like, eh, it was okay. Like every sure. time, it's like, oh, well, that just made that movie uh, a timeless success. You know, and like even Godfather too. like I get like this role. He didn't want uh, he like in his mind, Coppola didn't want Kurtz to be fat, but like it kind of worked for me. And he was already fat in Godfather too, even like artificially more fat than he really was like. So that doesn't like affect me or bother me at all. Yeah, I think he wanted because I think in the book Kurtz is like super malnourished and he wanted that vibe, but like it, it didn't bother me. I think I think I agree with you in that like I think the end product product is really great. Yeah, I think it's better. I think if you were malnourished, it's like, well, is he really, you know, king of the mountain mm -hmm. down here? Like if he's malnourished but he's around all these malnourished people and he himself is fat it's like oh he's clearly like the guy in charge you know what i mean like i think it's better i think the movie's better for it um yeah i, I think i'd probably agree with that and i think i'd also say i can see why coppola was extremely frustrated with him oh i get it i get it but i i kind of blame it's like you you should know what you're you should know what into. You, you've worked with him before yeah. you should know what you're getting into yeah so I, I have a question for you guys then, because I had read this before, but um, how do you feel that we saw our, them really slaughter a buffalo? That bothered me a ton. Yeah. It bothered me a ton. I was kind of hoping no one was going to bring it up because that's what I was going to do for my rating. Oh, nice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that that I, I watched this one of the times through with uh, my roommate. And uh, when that happened, this was the first time watching it. I, I audibly said, no animals were harmed in the making of this film, huh? <laughs> I mean, they definitely were. PETA was not a fan. It didn't really bother me. It was really weird. It, it was, was so shocking. real. It looked fake. It, it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I felt yeah. the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Like just to know that I was really watching them, like just kill that thing and just chop it up like that. I'll tell you what though, Scott, you're right. Except for looking directly into the animal's eyes, which was just so, so awful. It was, it was truly horrific. I hated it. I think that it's, that's the only reason though, why that scene is effective because when Kurtz, when we're seeing Kurtz die, it doesn't look super cool, but like juxtaposed with the, that actual slaughtering, it's a pretty shocking scene. So you think that we should probably harm, harm more animals for movies? Is that what you're That's saying? That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying Sounds like it's what I'm you're saying. saying when in Cambodia. <laughs> so <laughs> I went in Cambodia and there's no rules. I, I want to circle back real quick uh, to Zach kind of something that you alluded to a little bit. And it was uh, or, or Jake, maybe you did. It was uh, Brando coming in and talking with Coppola. Yeah, because one of the things that Coppola remembers about that and talked about in his uh, commentary was that Brando came in. And essentially he said to him, like, it looks like you've painted yourself into a corner. And Coppola was like agreeing that that was the case. Like he made so many changes to this movie as it went that like when we finally got to Kurtz, it was a completely different movie than he initially started out to make. Uh, and he had kind of painted himself in a corner and, and seemed to indicate that he wanted Brando to kind of like, get him out of the corner a little bit, hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting, but, but made me think that maybe Coppola accidentally made such a good movie. Like he wasn't really intentionally trying to make the movie that he ended up with. Uh, and so even though it's excellent, I'm not sure if that means that he's an excellent director, you know? Yeah. And I think, 
I, I can see how that's very much the case. When um, I was watching the documentary, one of the things, there's an interview with George Lucas, and Lucas is kind of saying, like, yeah, like, uh, I don't remember why he brought it up, but he kind of was just comparing himself to Coppola and just their different directing styles. And he was, Lucas was essentially saying, like, I just shoot what I have written, and I don't really deviate from that. And Coppola will take his time. And, like, if something comes to him, he's going to shoot that. And, like, there's a typhoon during the production of this. And he's like, let's get out there and let's shoot during the typhoon. Like, let's get footage in the typhoon and I'll write it into the story. Mm. Which I thought was interesting. And so I can totally see how that's the case. Didn't this movie end with over, like, a million feet of yes. a film and then he had to, like, cut it all? It took five directors to edit this movie. That's crazy. Yeah. This this movie went through the hands of five different editors with, with Coppola like really involved with each of them along the way. And yeah, over a million, over a million feet of footage. It was just an unprecedented amount of film. So what is like, I don't know if you get, anybody will know this, but what's a typical amount. So when you're like filming on film, what's a typical amount of film yeah. or like how much film is one second? Uh, it's, well, it's 24 frames in one second. So you figure, you know, in an eight millimeter, film segment we'll say uh, or we'll say 35 millimeter film segment so it's 35 times 24 is one second okay 35, Thir times tw 35 millimeters times yep. 24 okay so is that many millimeters in a second so <laughs> i i gave you math like yeah. i don't know the answer to your question to you. but oh. like i i i can give you like how to find the answer to your question yeah, yeah so what is it, 40 frames per foot 40 frames per foot? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get there somehow. <laughs> I don't know what about, I, there was like over 200 hours of footage. Okay. See, this is what I'm trying to get at. That's that because like a million feet, that could be a lot, could be a little for all I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really know how much is typical, but 200 hours sounds like way too much. Well, think about the reason why they describe it in feet is like, think about uh, having to manage a million feet of footage when you're editing that all by hand. Cause sure, remember yeah. this isn't like computer logging. Like they just have rolls of film that they have to like roll through, like physically cut with scissors tape back together in order to make a yeah, movie. No, like that's absolutely insane. Also, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that there was no way for anyone to see any of the footage while they were on location and they had to go back to America. They couldn't do dailies. Yeah. Yeah. Based on the 40 frames per foot, it was over 462 hours. <laughs> oh, whoa. And then we saw it about two hours, 45 of that. Is that how long this was? Yeah. Yeah. yeah around yeah. that. So there was a whole other movie cut out of this movie. What do you Sounds like there was a lot of movies there cut was, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was like 200 times that. <laughs> thanks for doing that math, Scott. Yeah, thanks, Scott. You're welcome. Uh, but I mean, you know, yeah, like length, yeah, whole hundreds of movies, I guess. Um, one, of the, one of the last things I wanted to in particular bring up about this that I thought was kind of interesting. I, I read one critic that described this, and, and Coppola kind of alluded to this too, um, that this movie is two genres in one that the first half of the movie and really like essentially surrounding Kilgore is really a little bit of like a, a nod to the American Western. And the second half of the movie, especially centered around Kurtz is really a nod to a horror film. I wanted to just see what you guys thought of hearing that. Well, you know, it's funny because I was, I think I talked did I, I, I probably said it on this, but I definitely said it off that I was like, like, okay, like pretty into the first half of the movie. Mm. And then they, like, as soon as the boat drops onto the river from that point on, which I think is probably That's the point the you're pivot. talking about, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, I was, oh, I was having, like, I was not enjoying it. I didn't <laughs> like it at all. So it's funny that they said that. Cause I guess I'm, I'm the Western guy. <laughs> and you also particularly hate horror movies. Right? I do. I yeah. do hate horror. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, what do you think about that? Does that feel accurate to you from watching it one time through? Um, I mean, sure. There's like little nods, I would say to those genres, but I don't know if there's like a ton of stuff that I would associate it with. Okay. Yeah. I, I to me it makes a lot of sense at least tonally, you know, I yeah. think it makes sense. I could, I feel like Kilgore had some John Wayne energy. Oh, for sure. Had so some I was, I was energy. like, I wasn't 
there was no horror for me in the second half. Like really more, maybe like psychological. That's horror. what I was going to say. Like maybe the most frightening thing to me in the world is the idea of going crazy and not being able to believe what, what's you, real, what is yeah. real and what isn't in like getting, uh, getting chef's head dropped onto Marty's lap. Like oh, that's yeah. a little kind of terrifying. Oh, I was super terrified by, by Kurtz. Like, yeah. And like his whole like darkness, like it, to maybe like, uh, I don't know, uh, give it a, a contrast to something like super modern and commercialized. Like it reminded me a lot of like what they were trying to do with um, the Mandarin in like Iron Man three or whatever. Well, we, we can still do that one on the pod. I haven't seen Iron Man 3. <laughs> okay. Wasn't that on the docket at some point? I almost had opened yeah. up this, this Zach season was with mad yeah. that Scott was picking Yeah, it. he was mad about that, but he's going to do Paddington. <laughs> you don't really have a leg to stand I, on. I remember, one. no, I remember thinking Iron Man 3 was funny. Like, that was a funny thing that we were doing. Maybe I started mad and then warmed to the No, end. you were like, are you serious? Like, you're going to ruin our podcast for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That was the general sentiment I got. Okay. I was fine with Iron yeah. Man three. Yeah. So, but I was like, it's the only MCU movie, MCU movie we can do. We could also do <laughs> Thor two: The Dark World. I haven't seen that. No, it's not no, we're not. We're not. That's a movie you absolutely should not have seen. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> but yeah, Kurtz, all of his like, uh, like half lit like conversations, like just him talking, was terrifying to me. Yeah, I know. I agree. Uh, I don't know. I didn't really get it. <laughs> you're, a little, you're a little baby, a little baby scared by Marlon Brando. <laughs> I, was, I was bored with Brando's character. I felt like there, I don't know, I, I didn't feel the stakes at all with him. Wow. Yeah. And I don't think he acted bad. I just felt like th- the choices of how they shot him and everything, I was like, there was, I think it's scarier to actually see him. Than Scott to not wishes see him. we saw more of the shark and jaws. Yeah, right. Exactly. Scott yeah. wishes Brando was skinny. <laughs> I do. That's that was the thing. Scott Scott has Scott gone would, on record saying he hates fat people. Scott <laughs> would recast Brando with Brad Pitt shirtless. Yeah. Fully lit. <laughs> it worked good for Legends of the Fall. <laughs> it, it, it's hard to argue against any recasting yeah, of Brad Pitt. Like just, just especially, put a, especially when he's shirtless. Yeah. Like I'd I'd watch that. Kinda wish we got that movie. Or put Daniel Day Lewis there. That's, it's funny that like you like I feel like Brand, like the way that Tyler described Brando earlier feels similar to like a Daniel Day Lewis type of actor and yeah. you did not like him in in There Will Be Blood and so I've gone back and said I changed my mind yeah maybe do you think maybe you'd feel differently with Brando no because I've seen lots of other Brando things <laughs> have you I mean the Godfathers that's true you did watch like 10 I mean that's of, one other character okay. but <laughs> you did watch like ten minutes of On the Waterfront before you bailed right I did yeah yeah. I don't even think we got 10 minutes in. I, I don't think know. We were, I don't even know if we got to Brando. <laughs> I don't, we did not. Think we did. we were like, Scott and I were like maybe 90 seconds yeah. into the movie. And so we, he's seen lots of Brando. <laughs> <laughs> and we were both, we both looked at each other and we were just both like, we are not getting through this. Like, no, because it wasn't Brando's acting. For me, it was like sure. the editing and how they presented the character. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, well, we're a little over an hour now. Do you guys want to? Yeah, let's put this one to bed. Shut it down. I mean, this this to me is a fine movie for us to go long on. I think our little baby tater tots that are uh, particularly interested in our film opinions. Those little babies who are scared of fat Brando. Yeah. <laughs> the little tiny tater tots. We'll, uh, we'll love this uh, one to have a little more. That I put length. in my kangaroo pouch. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, who's up first for Zach. Zach's okay. right? It's his movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, shoot. I forgot to think of a metric. I'm gonna give this nine underage Lawrence Fishburns. All right. I'm gonna go next just because I think I'm gonna be the lowest. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give this six point four actually dead oxes water buffalo. Water buffalo. <laughs> Jake, uh, I'm gonna give this seven point seven fat Brandos. And uh, I'm going to give this 9.1 napalms in the morning. So this comes out to a 79%. Uh, Once again, the other guys gave this a 98%. IMDb gave it an 8.4, and it is a 79% on Rotten Potatoes. Wow, we came in way under. Yeah, it's not as shocking to me, but I feel like for for film buffs, the 6.4 is almost just as insulting as your 5.1. Probably. Probably. 
Probably because I mean this one. <laughs> Scott's going to watch it again and be like, I take it back. <laughs> Maybe in like two years from now, I'll, I'll, I'll end up rewatching it on my own. Yeah. Can for I, some, for some inexplicable reason. Yeah, yeah. Can I just say, I was really hoping that we would all rate this in Brando's. Fat Brandos, Gary <laughs> Brandos, Steve Brandos. Well, you should have just brought that up before. Yeah, uh, but I don't want to influence. I just was hoping it would happen. Oh, okay. you already knew Scott was going to use slaughtered buffalo. Well, he said he, he wasn't going to slaughtered bu- slaughter buffalo is probably a <laughs> way better thing. <laughs> Dibs on that band name. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, where are we going next week? We're going to you. Oh man. Okay. So we are reviewing one of my uh, childhood favorite movies and the movie that I most watch when I'm having a bad day. On the waterfront. On the waterfront. How <laughs> young were you? My cousin Vinny. You said as a child? Yeah. How like how young? I don't know. When I was just a kid, this there was are, a there six. Are, there are TV cuts sure, of this movie. Like, like, uh, that's okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this gets played on TV a lot. Yeah, that's fine. I feel like this is like a staple in Italian households, right? Well, and especially in lawyer households. Oh so. yeah, this is like hits, <laughs> hits all your bases. Yeah. All right. Well. uh, Scott, before we get out of here, you have any final thoughts about uh, this this uh, movie? Uh, Martin Sheen is a big fat. Dude, I think this episode is just going to be effed up.